So Money episode 1484, Raising Empowered, Joyful Kids with Dr. Shafali, author of The Parenting Map. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think uh, the healthiest parenting fear to have is, you know, will I pass down my unhealed baggage to my children? Because that should wake us up to go do the work, right? To go and heal ourselves. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi, bringing back one of our favorite guests on So Money and one of Oprah's top parenting gurus, Dr. Shafali. She's a New York Times bestselling author of titles like The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. Now she's out with a book called The Parenting Map, Step-by-Step Solutions to Consciously Create the Ultimate Parent-Child Relationship. We talk about why we're in the midst of a parenting crisis, the parenting technique that are actual lies, her rule of thumb regarding kids and social media, and the healthy fears that all parents should possess. Here's Dr. Shafali. I have two copies of the parenting map ready to go to two So Money listeners to enter to win. Be sure to leave a review of this episode in Apple Podcasts, and I'll make selections in the coming week. Here's Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, welcome to So Money. I just ordered three copies of your book, two to give away, one for myself. I have to read your book, your latest book, The Parenting Map. It's out now. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I I wrote this book because parents really need a how-to map. Uh, my other books were more about why conscious parenting is so powerful, but this is how you can actually practice it. So I've yes. given 20 steps practice exercises. I've made it really practical and parents are loving it. And I read that this is the book Oprah wanted you to write. You are one of her favorite parenting experts. That's how I discovered you. And you came on this podcast when you wrote The Awakened Family, which is one of the Bibles of parenting. And now, thank you, the how-to, how-to. So you said 20 steps, and we were going to get into some of those in our recording. But I also heard you, Shafali, talk about on your own Instagram Live how in your 40s, you had to reparent yourself to some extent, right? That someone who has multiple master's degrees, a PhD, all of the things. And yet, I'm so curious about that. Yeah. So I actually wrote a book about it. Uh, it's called A Radical Awakening. And that's a fantastic book for any human who is seeking to disrupt their old patterns and start again. So, you know, this reparenting journey never ends. But I do think there are some critical points in our lives where we really are challenged to go through a huge metamorphosis. So in my 40s, I went through a huge awakening. But um, I, I think every human has that invitation. And I think we don't take that invitation because of fear, because of attachment to the status quo. So yeah, I went through a huge radical awakening in my mid-40s. I separated from my husband at that time and went through this whole radical, huge shift in my identity as a woman 
who I wanted to be in the world. I mean, it just threw my whole life upside down, but it was something I really needed to do to arrive at a different state of being and was scared. You know, the thing that was stopping me was only my fear. So I, I went through this whole process and that's what I write about in that book, A Radical Awakening. And yeah, you know, in my book, The Parenting Map, I teach parents really how they can reparent themselves so that they can then show up as the best parents for their children. And there are three lies that you want to address. Three big lies. You have control. That's lie number one. Lie number two, you need to raise a happy child. And lie number three, your child needs to be successful. Let's start with the first lie, the, the, the lie that somehow we have some sort of control over our children's well-being and, and actions. This is how I was raised. <laughs> It can be so frustrating as a parent to feel as though you don't have any sort of, you know, that that your children are who they are and you have to let them be who they are. That's a very hard thing to accept. How do we dis- how do we get rid of this lie and not live this lie as parents? Yeah, well, first we need to understand why it's toxic. It's really toxic for us, leave alone our children, because it puts all this overwhelming burden on us to kind of get it right. Like we see them as a reflection of ourselves. So we are here to micromanage them, to overparent them, just so that we feel like we can stay in this uh, image of the superior one, of the good one, of the controlled one. And it's a tremendous burden because we cannot control anyone, least of all our children. And so instead of flowing with them, instead of growing with them, we're we're just stampeding on them just so we can have this idea, this delusion of control. It places a tremendous stress on us. And also we then try to control them to fit our vision of them. So we have a vision of them being these perfect beings or that they're going to play the trombone or they're going to go to an Ivy League. And then in Instead of attuning to them and flowing with them and enjoying the adventure of parenting, we actually start just pigeonholing ourselves to create that fantasy that we had of them. And and then it robs us of joy. It creates tremendous stress because when it's not working out, then we feel like the child is to blame. We take the child to therapy. We medicate the child. But really, it wasn't the child at all. It was us. And uh, so in this book, The Parenting Map, I really show us parents to the the toxicity of what we're doing and why it needs to end. And many parents who read it go, ah, oh my goodness, like you, I was raised that way. It was really toxic. And I'm doing the same thing to my child. I've got to stop. And then the other two lies of trying to raise a happy child. The reason why that is so problematic is because then we become so obsessed with the outcome. Happiness needs to be the outcome. But we know that life is not about just one emotion. And by teaching our children that they should obsess for happiness, we're actually teaching them to not be okay with not being okay. And not being okay is a big part of life. Like, okay, things are not okay a lot. Let's be okay with them not being okay. So we raise very fragile children by focusing on be happy, be happy. Why are you sad? And we don't allow our children to express their feelings, to know their feelings. Like, And that's why when we grow up, we have such a problem with big feelings and why we're conflict avoidant. And then the third uh, lie is about 
raising a successful child. And that all has to do with these very rigid metrics of success, you know, competition, the grades, the trophies, how you look, which status, uh, social status you belong to, which school you go to, what career. And again, it's okay if you have a child who can naturally do that. But if you have many children, uh, one of them at least is not going to be able to just fall into that. And then what happens to that children, to that child? What happens to that one child? Do they simply feel like they're unworthy? Do they feel that they have failed just because they don't fit into those narrow metrics of success? And, and this, these are the pitfalls that then create disconnection, dysfunction, and really a tremendous pressure on both the parent and the child. Dr. Shafali, I want to go back to the control lie. I, I have a follow-up question there because I think part of what fuels the parenting tendency to want to sort of direct your children in a certain way, or you have a certain vision for your child that you hope that they reach is because outside your home in the world, there are certain expectations, right? There are already like school, for example, let's just go, you know, as soon as my child leaves the house, he goes to school and at school is expected to show up in a certain way to participate to it's very structured. And I think kind of archaic in its structure, to be honest, you know, they haven't really, schools haven't really evolved (laughs) with the world and where kids are today, but that's a whole other show. But I think, you know, how do we reconcile as parents what we teach at home and, and then releasing them into a world that isn't so conscious, whether you're at school or at work, like how do we set them up for success, even though that's not really the goal, but you know what I mean? I'm putting big air quotes around success in the outside world with everything, we're, with the tools that we're giving them at home. Well, you know, the goal of conscious parenting is not to bubble wrap your children and protect them from the harsh realities of the world. The world is harsh. It is filled with archaic, antiquated ideas of who you should be and what you should do. Our goal is not to protect them from that so much as to build the resilience that will allow them to feel inwardly protected. So at at home, we don't put that pressure, but we let them know that this pressure does exist in the outside world. And we want you to know that you are worthy no matter what the world puts on you. And just by telling our children that, listen, I know your teacher tells you that getting a B is terrible or you need to get an A++. We're here to tell you that we don't believe that, but just know that the teacher is going to keep saying that because this is the way culture works. Just by letting the child know that I see you no matter what, and I'm so sorry, but the world is what it is, they will then be able to manage the world much better. They will be educated to understand that, ah, Culture works from this heavy, you know, indoctrination, from this heavy uh, superiority, from this heavy pressure. But my parents have told me something else. And now I'm emboldened and empowered to know that I'm okay in their eyes, which is all that really matters, and okay in my eyes. But then also I know how to handle the toxic message of messages of culture. And we need to do that not only in terms of success, but also for beauty. Right. We need to tell our girls, our daughters, hey, you know, we admire you for who you are. You don't have to look a particular way. But when you go out into culture, they're going to tell you that you don't look like this standard and they're going to make you feel bad. And this is how you need to deal with it. Same things for, say, ideas around uh, how family should look. What if our family looks different? Again, 
our family looks different, but culture is going to tell you that family should look like this. Or what about race, right? In in our house, we believe in the embrace of who you are as you are. But when you're out there, because you're a brown girl or a brown boy, you will be told you're not good enough. So in all areas, we need to educate our children age appropriately about the toxicity that exists in culture. Culture is filled with absolute toxicity, which can ruin our children's self-esteem. So we need to be culturally savvy and know about success, about happiness, about beauty, about marriage, about divorce, about family, sexuality, uh, achievement, competition. Culture has its own ideas and we need to let our children know that, hey, you're going to combat these and these are the ways you need to do it. Well said. Speaking of toxicity, social media, I'm sure you're getting asked a lot about this in your media tour. What is your philosophy? What is you have a rule of thumb for parents as far as incorporating social media, allowing social media in their child's life? What age do we start? What are the parental controls? What are the conversations they should be having at home as their children are navigating this uh, this treacherous <laughs> platform known as TikTok and Instagram, and we're all on there, you know. And there's a healthy way to interact and a not so healthy. But when you're 12 years old, it can be quite risky. Yeah, I actually do have a rule of thumb. Uh, I say to parents, no social media, you know, portable screen uh, modules till their teens. So no screens till teens. And I'm, I'm all for the TV now. You know, when I was raising my daughter, the TV was the, was the dreaded, you know, media app. And, uh, we had so many fights around the TV, but I'll take the TV any day now compared to social media, just by its portability, just by the way the algorithms are set up to kind of abduct and manipulate your children, just by the fact that there's constant streaming, that it makes it very hard to get off, the addictive potential of it, the uh, manipulative potential of it is just too much for a young mind to, you know, collaborate, to, uh, to handle and, and to manage. So we need to protect our children and, uh, you know, understand they cannot negotiate this. This is far too big for their brain to handle. So we need to protect them from this all the way till they're 13, 14, 15, as much as we can go, because culture again will push against us and their friends will all be on it. And then they'll come home to you and tell you you're the only mean parent in the world, but you're going to have to, you know, stay your course because you need to know this is like a drug. This is a drug. So yeah. don't give your child a drug before they, you know, ever, uh, but definitely not before they can manage it in some coherent way. Um, so I'm very strict about that because it is, uh, it is a mass, you know, killer of connection. It's a mass uh, abductor of presence of being attentive, of being here and now. We as parents are addicted, so we are not so present, not so focused. Our children are so addicted that they don't know how it is to be on their own, to be bored, to play. They've, they've forgotten how to play. They've forgotten how to be bored. And that's where creativity comes. That's where initiative comes and healthy interdependence and connection and making relationships and understanding how to solve problems comes. And we're robbing our children from that because they're just passively receiving data without 
initiating into their own creativity, into their own, you know, free will. They're just passively receiving data, 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 and not really activating their own inner initiative and potential. And I think that's a great disservice to our children. Yeah, my children are a little too young, thankfully for that. But I... I hear it. I hear what you're saying. And, and I, I love that you're calling it a drug. There are parents out there that won't give their children Tylenol, uh, but you're going to hand them a screen with TikTok on it. That uh, doesn't really jive. My son is eight. He's in therapy right now. He has ADHD. We find that some behavioral therapy to help him deal with his big emotions has been really helpful. It's kind of been incredible. I wanted to get your thoughts on therapy for children. And when, as a parent, you are recognizing, okay, my kid needs some help from a professional. And and what are some really valid reasons to sign your child up for therapy? Well, I'm all for therapy all the time. Therapy is amazing. You know, I'm a therapist myself. Um, I, I do tell parents to go in with their children, you know, have family therapy as well, especially mm-hmm. when your, kids, your children are under the age of 13, because you are such an influencer of your children's moods and their well-being. So set, allow your child to have their space, but also don't look at it as a shameful thing if you go in as well and uh, learn some strategies yourself because you can help your child so much better uh, by being their partner in this growth process. So, you know, when I see parents uh, in my practice who bring their children, I do insist that the parents come as well. That's good advice. Speaking of therapy, millennials, I feel like, well, we've really evolved in terms of how we talk about therapy. We accept it. It's not taboo. Like growing up, that was completely taboo. If you went to therapy, there was something wrong with you and no one wanted to talk about it. Now I think we have evolved. We recognize and we praise the benefits of therapy loudly. And so for millennials who are now parents or want to be parents, are you more hopeful for this generation than say our parents' generation that may have not have had the tools? Where are we right now in sort of the evolution of parenting? I feel like with books now and podcasts and therapy being widely accepted that we have to be better off, right? Or or not? How do you see it working out right now? I do think on the on the spectrum of awareness, we are way better off. We are more aware that we have issues. We need to talk about it. We need to express. I love the trend of mental health being so on, you know, under the spotlight on everyone's radar. Where I feel like we need to do better is with our addiction to social media and our lack of presence and lack of mindfulness, lack of connection. I'm scared that we are going down a slippery slope of decreased connection, decreased connectivity and and social interaction and more isolation. So that is something that is very scary to me, you know, watching four-year-olds on their screens, on their tablets. Schools are using tablets more and more, which may seem like a great thing, but not to me. To me, you know, where is the old-fashioned pencil and paper and where is the slow processing that children need to, to go through the process, right? Not just click on a calculator and get the answers. Um, be out in nature more, be more physically, uh, you know, active. These are the things that I feel are decreasing and it's a little bit problematic, I feel. 
And the pandemic, can you talk a little bit about that? And now that we are coming out of it, I think we can say we are out of it. We are coming out of it. What have you seen to be the biggest, the biggest challenges that we're still dealing with? That we're still reeling from the pandemic as far as connecting to our kids and our kids feeling connected to the world. Well, I think the same thing, right? Because we began relying so much on virtual reality, virtual you know modules that we kind of have skipped that slow growth, you know, to, toward that virtual reality. We kind of just bypassed and went so fast because we had to, it was out of necessity. But I think we have now become comfortable being on our screens for long hours of the day. You know, we don't go into the office. We don't meet our colleagues. We're not hanging around in the lunchroom. While it's very convenient on one end, right? We get to stay at home. But on another end, I think it's increasing our isolation. We're not seeing it right now, but I think the effects of it will be seen uh, within the next 10, 15 years. Our teenagers who have been at home have been suffering uh, because they need that peer-to-peer interaction and they haven't had it. So our teenagers have definitely shown an increase in anxiety, suicidal, suicidal thoughts and idality. So we are seeing its effects. Um, you know, whenever we decrease interpersonal connection, we are at a risk for increasing mental disease. Mm-hmm. And so back to your book, how to create more connection in a time where we have lost so much of that. My son and I went to lunch the other day together and the the server at the restaurant, perhaps it was like shocking to him. He was like, wow, mother son time. I said, yeah. And our daughter's with her father and they're doing dot, you know, daddy and uh, daughter time. And he thought, he thought, oh my, I was like, this is not a, this is not like a a new thing, sir. Like this is, hopefully this is normal. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's the beautiful part of, of, uh, you know, having these connections. We get to be intimate with our children. We get to foster a relationship. And that's what my book talks about. But how do we decrease chaos, decrease confusion, anxiety, overwhelm, and truly get back the joy of parenting and connect with our children? It's what all of us yearn for. But somehow we've gotten off track and our relationship with our children often become more transactional, more about you do this and then you do that. And if you do this and then I'll do this. And it becomes about schedules and keeping on track and keeping a pace rather than truly enjoying the beauty of our children. You know, their first 10 years is their most beautiful. And often we miss those 10 years in our own desire to get them grown up, to get them safely to the other side. We actually miss the most beautiful phase of life, I think, which is childhood. And Dr. Shafali, there's just so much fear around becoming a parent. I often hear it from friends who are considering becoming parents. They say, I'm afraid of, a lot of times it's the logistics or how it's going to impact their life and their independence. And yes, it's a lot of scheduling. It's a lot of reorienting your life as a, as a human, as, a, as an adult person, and your relationship will change with your partner. But there's so much more to it. And there's more to it that's, I think, more serious. Like everything you've just talked about, raising an independent child. What are other things that parents should legitimately be afraid of because it will point them towards the right consciousness? What's a good, healthy parenting fear? I think uh, the healthiest parenting fear to have is, you know, will I pass down my unhealed baggage to my children? Because (laughs) that should wake us up to go do the work, right? To go and heal ourselves. 
That's something we don't want to pass down. Our children will face their own issues in life, their own problems, but let their problems not be connected to our baggage from childhood. Like how about let them have their own problems? Let's not pass down our bullshit, right? So uh, another healthy fear that we can have is, you know, uh, connected to my first one is I'm a really anxious person. I want to make sure my kid is not anxious, Right. So, yeah, go work on your anxiety. I have issues with how I look. I don't want to pass that on to my daughter. Okay, go work on your self-esteem. You know, I I was terrified of travel. I don't want my child to get that. I'm terrified of animals. I don't want my child to get that. Good. So I often tell parents, you know, write down all your fears and see how we can work on them to heal them. Because otherwise, whether you believe it or not, consciously control it or not, it will come out onto your children. So let's heal ourselves. So that's one big area, right? Healing our own baggage. Another fear I think we need to have is for our children to be abducted by culture, where culture tells them how to be pretty, how to be successful, how to marry, who to marry, how to have sex, when to have sex, you know, what kind of sex. In these big areas of uh, happiness, success, sexuality, beauty, um, achievement, we don't want culture to be the first voice that they hear. We want to embed in them a very heightened state of consciousness around these issues, but we can't do that unless we have really worked on these issues ourselves. So I mm-hmm. teach that in the book, The Parenting Map, how you as a parent can deconstruct the lies of culture and truly pass down a message to your children that will hold them in good stead, that will uphold their resilience that will empower them. So, you know, I think our fears of our baggage and culture's baggage are legitimate fears. An abduction by culture. Ooh, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? And I'll tell you, as an adult woman, it's a constant battle to not be sucked into that. It's a constant battle. And I think back to your book, The Parenting Map, you, you make the point that as parents, we play an enormous role, but ultimately there is a world out there. And yes, we play an important, powerful role, but we also have to kind of let go at some point too. Right. So that's why the early years are so important. Our greatest influence comes in the early years. So I teach in this book, The Parenting Map, how to keep building on that influence. And it's it's uh, it's a book meant for a parent of any age group child. But we start building that influence from a young age. We start young so that then by the time they're out there ready to embrace the world, they are sufficiently uh, educated on what they're about to encounter. They're not a babe in the woods. We've actually exposed them either in reality or through our conversations about what to expect in the world. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much. The Parenting Map, congratulations. Couldn't have come out at a better time. Um, there's no bad time to come out with a parenting book, but especially right now with, with so much going on in the world, we need your advice. We need your wisdom. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming back to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Dr. Shafali. A reminder, if you'd like to be entered to win a copy of The Parenting Map, please leave a review of this episode in Apple Podcasts and I'll select two winners in the coming week. I hope your day is so money. Money.